1: What's up, everybody, and welcome in to the Philly Sports Power Hour on this Super Football Friday. Last Football Friday of the year. Crazy. Feels like just yesterday we were all excited for the start of the Eagles season. Now we only have one game left of the 2023 NFL season, Super Bowl 58. A little anticlimactic with the two teams we have playing. But we're going to get into that later on in the show. Break down Super Bowl 58. Look at some of these prop bets. Give you guys my pick on the game. But there's a lot to talk about today. Because yesterday, the NBA trade deadline came and went. Sixers made some moves. Pretty mixed reviews. In Philly, about those moves, but I'm going to give you my opinion on them. We also have to talk about the Philadelphia Flyers, our fly guys Travis Konechny, Gordy Hal Hattrick in the first period. Do a little Flyers talk today. And then we could talk a little about the NFL awards that came out last night. Some people were upset that a certain Philadelphia Eagle. Didn't get one of those awards, but we'll talk about it. I actually think it was the right decision. And then, like I said, we'll get into Super Bowl 58. And like we end every show with a little today in sports history. But welcome in, everybody. I see my Power Hour crew checking in in the chat nice and early. Wine Niners Wine, right out of the gate, wants to talk about Brian Johnson and the offense against Vic Fangio's defense. You weren't here yesterday. I addressed this yesterday. And I even asked, where were you? Because I said, I think it's a little bit crazy that we want to take one game, one game out of Vic Fangio's 20-year career as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, and we want to take one game. And because the Philadelphia Eagles put up 355 yards, we want to use that one game as the evidence of why Vic Fangio stinks. Come on, Wine Niners, wine. You're better than that. Anyway, let's see who else is in the house. We got William Stark, Adams Exploits, Provolone John, John. I know what a John is, man. I can't mispronounce that, being a Philly guy. Bry Guy, Adams Exploits, Dan Bruce, Fanny Woods, saying, I held my own yesterday. So for those of you who were here yesterday, Usually, we have Mark Farzetta on Thursdays. Farzi couldn't make it, so we had a surprise guest, Big Sills, in the house yesterday. Me and him having a little bit of a friendly debate. Some people saying, <laughs> Excuse me.
0: <clears throat>
1: uh oh. Uh oh. Is it finally getting to me? My kids. My kids have been sick for like two months. Hopefully I'm not getting it now, right in time for the weekend. But some people were saying that Big Sills dominated me yesterday. I didn't think so. He made some good points. Big Sills made some good points. But go back and check that out, that video. But I see who else we got. Flexing and Stepping, Chuck Hutton, Swoop Sirianni, Teresa Pascarello, Kyle, Twiz, Who else we got in the house? Man, there's a lot of you. There are a lot of you here today. So if I missed you, I apologize. We're streaming live on the Jacob Sports Network. We're live on TikTok as well. We're also on all my social media platforms. So like I said previously, make sure you're following me everywhere. And Flexin and Steppen saying great content. Yeah, I thought me and Sills had a nice little back and forth going yesterday. So he made some good points. I don't agree with all the points he made, but he did make some good points. Brian Lippincott checking in. But let's jump in, because there is a lot to talk about today before we get into the Super Bowl. But I want to talk about this 76ers trade deadline and the moves they made yesterday. So before we get into the specific moves, you know my position. If you follow me, if you follow this show, My position going into the trade deadline was I didn't really care to see them do anything because I didn't think that there was any move out there that Daryl Morey could make that was going to move the needle enough for this team to be able to beat the Celtics or the Bucks or even the Pacers, the Knicks, the Cavs. I don't think there was a move out there that was going to get you over the hump. That was going to get this Sixers team to an NBA championship game or series. So I don't understand a lot of fans who are upset at what Daryl Morey did yesterday. Now, let me get this out of the way first. I don't think Daryl Morey's done a good job here. Since he's gotten here, I don't think the team has gotten drastically better. I'm not sure what he's done to make this team better since he's got here, but what did fans expect Daryl Morey to do with the trade deadline yesterday? What was there? What was available for Morey to make these unbelievable moves that it seems like some fans wanted that was going to get this Sixers team over the top? What was there? Tell me. Tell me a player who moved at the deadline that the Sixers should have made a move for that was suddenly going to make this Sixers team the favorite in the Eastern conference. There was nothing there. So he makes a trade for Buddy Heald. Good move. Didn't have to give up a ton. They give up Marcus Morris Sr. Furkan Kormaz and three second round picks. And then he makes some other trades to try to recoup some of those second round picks. Now, I'll talk about the Jaden Springer trade last because that's the one that has me scratching my head. That's the one I don't understand. But all of the other moves, I'm not understanding some people here, some Sixers fans who are upset at the moves Daryl Morey made. Buddy Heald, we needed a three-point shooter. You just got one of the best three-point shooters in the last eight years in the NBA the second most three-pointers since 2016, second to only Steph Curry. So that's a decent move. But I don't understand all of this hate about trading Pat Bev. Listen, I liked Pat Bev. He was a dog, quote-unquote. Loved the way he played. Fit the city perfectly. But was Pat Bev really Going to make this team a true contender in the Eastern Conference? Do we really think that Pat Bev was going to be the difference maker in the NBA playoffs? And I see people are upset about it. Jason A team's not happy they got rid of Pat Bev. Flexin and Stepin not happy they got rid of Pat Bev. But let me ask you: As much as you like Pat Bev, do you really think? that Pat Bev being on this Sixers team was going to be a difference maker in the playoffs that suddenly because they kept Pat Bev that we were going to be a true contender in the east doesn't make any sense man and i see jason a team saying mentally yes it, pat bev at 35 years old a guy who bounces around every single season is not moving the needle that much. And the reason fans are upset is because you're making decisions from your emotions. It's the same reason why I have a problem with bringing back Jason Kelsey and Fletcher Cox and BG, because we're going to make decisions with emotion as opposed to our brain about what makes sense. So trading Pat Bev, And getting Campaign, who's pretty much a younger version of Pat Bev, and you recoup a second-round draft pick, and guess what? Campaign's a better three-point shooter than Pat Bev. So, look, neither one of those guys, Pat Bev or Campaign, neither one of them is moving the needle for the Sixers team. It doesn't matter. And I know people are upset because they traded Pat Bev to a contender, to a competitor in the Milwaukee Bucks. But guess what? I don't think you're beating the Bucks anyway. So what's the difference? Do we really think the Sixers, again, whether or not they have Pat Bev or the Bucks have Pat Bev, was going to make that much of a difference in the series? The Sixers aren't going anywhere this year. It didn't matter. It did not matter what they did at the trade deadline. So I'm okay with the Buddy Heald move if this means they're going to try to sign him next year. Because Buddy Heald can shoot the three, something this team has lacked. But nothing they did at the trade deadline, in my opinion, was going to change anything at all to make this team a contender. So I'm not understanding what people wanted Daryl Morey to do. I'm not a huge Daryl Morey fan to begin with. I'm not saying this guy's a great general manager or president of basketball, whatever you want to call him. But I just don't see what he could have done yesterday. (laughs) (coughs) Then they trade Daniel House, whatever. They get a second round pick back. Apparently that opens up some cap room so they could be buyers on the buyout market. Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry's name is floating around. He's 38. The one I don't understand, and this is the one that bothers me the most of all of the moves, is trading Jaden Springer to the Boston Celtics. And the reason I don't like that move is because how many times do we have to let the Celtics burn us on a move? They're smarter than us. They have a better organization than the Sixers. I hate to admit it, but they have a better organization. So you just took a young player who's only 21 years old, who's shown promise when he's on the court, and you're going to trade him to the Boston Celtics because now we know what's going to happen. They're going to develop him. And in a couple of years, Jaden Springer's going to be an absolute star for the Boston Celtics. We're all going to be sitting here saying, man, we could have had him. We could have had him on our team. Just like when we traded to move up to get Markel Fultz and let the Boston Celtics draft Jason Tatum. So that's the only one out of all of these moves that I'm upset about. I don't care about them trading Pat Bev. I liked him too. I thought he was a quote-unquote Philly guy. But when you take that out of the equation, he wasn't moving the needle for this team. They weren't going anywhere this year, and I still don't think they're going anywhere. But to me, I'm okay with all of the trades. I just don't understand why you trade Jaden Springer to the Boston Celtics. How many times do they have to burn us? But we'll see what happens. Now, a lot of us were hopeful that we were going to be able to figure out at the trade deadline what the Sixers thought about Joel Embiid's injury and was he going to be able to come back this season. I don't think we learned anything. Because they make the move for Buddy Heald, which makes you think, oh, okay. They think Joel's coming back, but then they start unloading all of these other guys. So who the hell knows what's going on with Joel Embiid? But I said this all week, and I'm going to say it again. Even with a healthy Joel Embiid, I don't see the Sixers competing with the upper echelon teams in the East. It's just not going to happen this year. It's unfortunate. And it's really unfortunate that this summer, when we're going to have all this cap space, there's really no star to go after. Really no star to go after. I mean, do they get Paul George? I don't think the Clippers are going to let Paul George go. And will Paul George want to come to Philadelphia with Daryl Morey here? With all of the issues that he's been hearing about Daryl Morey lying to players. Now you add Pat Bev to the equation of being quote-unquote lied to about getting traded. Uh, It's an unfortunate situation. And we as fans have a right to be angry with the Sixers organization in general. I'm not as mad about this particular trade deadline only because I don't think anything could have been done to get them over the hump. But when you just look, I'm 40 years old. I was born one week after the 1983 NBA championship, the Sixers won in 40 damn years. We've seen one NBA finals 2001 with Allen Iverson and they lost. That's it. Are you kidding me? An organization that's supposed to have the history that the 76ers have. That's the best we can do in 40 years. So, as Sixers fans, I get why we're angry and we're frustrated. But when you just look at it objectively, this trade deadline, there was no move to be made that was going to win an NBA title. Just wasn't going to happen. And I'm a waker you. Makes a good point. We had a shot at Halliburton. Yeah, we did. We had Bridges, traded him away. It's been one mistake after another with this damn team. And this isn't just this year or five years or 10 years. We're talking 40 damn years since there's been a championship for the 76ers. I don't know. Frustrating. But let's feel good. Because there's another team that plays at the Wells Fargo Center. And we should feel good about this team. And that's our Philadelphia Flyers. Fly guys last night, when they're second in a row, 2-0 and after the All-Star break. And once again, they beat a really good team. Winnipeg Jets beat them again. 4-1. And how about our man, Travis Konechny. With the Gordie Hal hat trick first period. And for you guys who aren't hockey fans, Gordie Hal hat trick is a goal, an assist, and a fight. He did it all in the first period last night, really setting the tone. And Kevin Savard saying, I sound like I need emergency. Man, I've been popping vitamin C's too. Perfect timing because I got to do this show. I got the two radio shows tomorrow or er, and Sunday, but yeah, hopefully this uh, sniffle goes away. But I apologize for you have to listen to it. On, oh, let me give me a second. All right, talking about our flyers, we have got to be crystal clear here because they're the one thing we should feel good about right now. So connect me with the Gordy Hal hat trick. But here's the best thing about the Flyers right now: John Tordarella. Not only does he have his team playing really, really well, they just beat one of the best teams in the NHL, four-one. And if you watch Tortorella's post-game press conference, you would have thought they got dominated. It's about a minute long. He he's such a good coach at keeping this team like humble, playing hard. And what a blessing, Sam Arson's turned out to be in that. Everybody knows what's going on with. Carter Hart and Ayerson's just playing the best goaltending of his career right now. So, some really good things happening with the Flyers. Now, here's the frustrating thing, and I tweeted this out last night. The frustrating thing is going to be when the NHL trade deadline comes next month, they're going to be sellers. They're not going to do anything to try to go for it this year. They know that's gotten them in trouble in years past. So, they're going to stick with the plan with their eyes on the future, building a true contender. I agree with it, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to be happy come trade deadline when you start to see some of these pieces being traded away. They're going to keep the young nucleus, but they're not going to bring in anybody to help them this season. It's just not going to happen. But exciting to watch. They're playing really good hockey. And I asked this question on Twitter last night. You look at the Philadelphia Flyers and you look at the other organizations in the city. There's a chance the Flyers may win a championship before any of the other three major sports. I think the Flyers are going to win a championship before the Sixers. We know how hard it is to win a World Series. The Phillies have a real shot, but now. You, know, you got the Braves still. How many times can we expect to beat the Braves as a wild card team? And you look at the Eagles. So many question marks on that team. And talking about the Phillies, I talked about beating the Braves. Look at the L.A. Dodgers, for God's sakes. So you look at the four major sports teams in this town. Flyers may have a shot to be the first championship we see again. But it's not going to be this year because they're definitely going to be trade sellers, not buyers at the deadline. Well, let's take a look. Before we get into Super Bowl 58, let's look at some of the NFL awards last night. I know some people disagreed with some of these, but NFL Coach of the Year. Let's start there. NFL Coach of the Year goes to Cleveland Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski. And this was close. Him and D'Amico Ryans were actually tied in the points they received, but because Kevin Stefanski received more first place votes than D'Amico Ryans, Kevin Stefanski wins. This was a close one because D'Amico Ryans did an absolute incredible job his first year in Houston. Rookie quarterback took over a franchise that's just been terrible over the last few years, but it goes to Kevin Stefanski. You can't deny what Stefanski did though. I mean, getting to the playoffs with five different starting quarterbacks is pretty damn impressive. Now, one of the things that was being held against him was look how good his defense was because if you look at Kevin Stefanski, not only does Jim Schwartz, his defensive coordinator, win assistant coach of the year. Miles Garrett wins defensive player of the year. So who did a better job? D'Amico Ryans with all the young talent they had in his first year as head coach or Kevin Stefanski, five starting quarterbacks, but a really good defense and a really good defensive coordinator. I really think it could have gone either way. I probably would have given it to D'Amico Ryans, though. But Kevin Stefanski wins coach of the year, and as I said, assistant coach of the year, former Eagles defensive coordinator, Jim Schwartz. And then sticking with those Houston Texans, D'Amico Ryans getting close, but offensive rookie of the year, no doubt about it, quarterback C.J. Stroud, one of the best seasons we've ever seen, Not only from a rookie quarterback, but from a quarterback in general, he would have had what would be considered a great season. And he did it as a rookie for the Houston Texans. And it's unfortunate because Puka Nakua, who comes in second for Offensive Rookie of the Year, any other season would have ran away with the Offensive Rookie of the Year. But CJ Stroud, absolute beast. He takes it. And then crazy. Not only do the Houston Texans have the Offensive Rookie of the Year, they have the Defensive Rookie of the Year. The future is bright in Houston with D'Amico Ryans as your head coach, C.J. Stroud as your starting quarterback, and now Defensive Rookie of the Year, Will Anderson Jr. narrowly beats Philadelphia Eagles rookie Jalen Carter. And I know some fans were upset about it. That was the right decision. You look at the beginning of the season, Jalen Carter was running away with the defensive rookie of the year, but he hit a wall. We saw it as Eagles fans, and you look at their final numbers, the voters got it right. Will Anderson, in 454 pass snaps, eight sacks, 15 quarterback hits, 45 hurries, and 68 pressures. You look at Jalen Carter in similar amount of pass-rushing snaps, 427. He only had seven sacks. Will Anderson had eight. He only had four quarterback hits. Will Anderson had 15. Jalen Carter had 39 hurries. Will Anderson had 45. Jalen Carter had 50 pressures. Will Anderson had 68 pressures. So sometimes we are biased as Eagles fans, but if you look at the numbers, Will Anderson deserve Defensive Rookie of the Year. And I see most of you agreeing with me in the chat. But let's look at Defensive Player of the Year, because this was another one. I see Wine Niners Wine saying it should have gone to T.J. Watt. Miles Garrett narrowly beats out T.J. Watt. This one was a toss-up for me, because Miles Garrett is an absolute beast out there. Takes over games. I know if you look at the numbers, the argument could be made. It could have been T.J. Watt, but I really think it could have gone either way. If T.J. Watt won it, I wouldn't have been upset. But Miles Garrett winning it, I'm not upset. I really think you have two dominant defensive players. So I'm okay with Miles Garrett. See what you guys are saying in the chat. If you agree. Now, Steven on TikTok, when I'm talking about Jalen Carter and Will Anderson saying that Jalen Carter's a D-tackle, Will Anderson's a defensive end, so it's not fair to compare their numbers. I just think when you look at Jalen Carter the last few games of the year, he hit an absolute wall. And you look at that Eagles defense, they were historically, historically bad. And I know it's hard to try to blame one guy. It's not Jalen Carter's fault, but what I mean is how do you give defensive rookie of the year to a guy who played on a defense that was that terrible, that literally was in the bottom of almost every single category down the stretch? So, I'm seeing what you guys have in the chat here. Wine Niners Wine says, name one stat that Miles Garrett was better than TJ. Guess what? There are zero. It was a popularity contest. So, why Wine, not happy. Let's see who else. Offensive player of the year. This one, I thought, no-brainer, Christian McCaffrey. In my opinion, Christian McCaffrey should be the MVP of the league. I think what Christian McCaffrey does on the football field, he's the most valuable player in the NFL. So he wins Offensive Player of the Year. You knew once he won that, he wasn't going to get MVP. The MVP goes to Lamar Jackson by a landslide. Lamar Jackson. Absolutely not even close second place in the MVP race. So Lamar Jackson, listen to this. This is his second MVP award before his 27th birthday to start the season so you look at players who have started the season before their 27th birthday there are only two players in NFL history who have two MVPs before their 27th birthday season Lamar Jackson and Jim Brown insane and you look at active players Lamar Jackson is only one of three active players who have more than one MVP award joining Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. The big difference, A-Rod's got a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes has two Super Bowls going for three. But Lamar Jackson, another MVP award. But I'm sure people in Baltimore, just like we would as Sixers fans, would trade the MVP award for a championship and then comeback player of the year another maybe controversial one goes to Joe Flacco who literally came off his couch to leave the, Cle- lead the Cleveland Browns into the playoffs I was surprised I thought for sure the NFL was going to give it to DeMar Hamlin after literally dying on the field and then Walter Payton man of the year goes to Cameron Hayward of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk about the Hall of Fame. And really, there are two Eagles that continue to get screwed out of the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about it when we get back. Hit that like button. Hit that share button. Make sure you're following. This is the Philly Sports Power Hour. We'll be right back. Get ready for the big game with Underdog Fantasy and sign up right now with your verified account. Use the word WIN when you register. Underdog Fantasy is giving away $1 million in giveaways and underdog credit on Super Bowl Sunday. And there's a new customer special for anyone that signs up this week for Patrick Mahomes. Get ready for Super Sunday and set up your account right now with Underdog Fantasy. And use the word WIN. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in to the Philly Sports Power Hour with Bill Calarulo. Before the break, we were talking about our Sixers, our Flyers, looking at some of these NFL awards. But I want to talk about the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Because they announced the inductees for this year. I'm not saying these guys weren't deserving, but two Philadelphia Eagles players, one who was a finalist, one who's never been a finalist, continue to get ignored by the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and I don't understand it. First off, Eric Allen. How Eric Allen is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand what Eric Allen has to do to get into the Hall of Fame. And I'm not the only one who feels that way. I had Seth Joyner on my show a couple of months ago when Eric Allen was named a finalist. And he was talking about how it's long past due. I mean, you look at Eric Allen, he was a first-team All-Pro was a second-team All-Pro two times, was a six-time Pro Bowler, has 54 interceptions in his career, and was one of the first true shutdown corners the NFL had ever seen. How he continues to get passed over for the Pro Football Hall of Fame is criminal. And we were just talking about the NFL Awards, and I told you sometimes as Eagles fans, we can be biased When you look at Defensive Rookie of the Year, I said, hey, it should have gone to Will Anderson. This is not me being a biased Eagles fan. When you look at Eric Allen's career, and I'm sure Raiders fans would agree with me too, that Eric Allen deserves to be in the damn Hall of Fame. And I just mentioned Seth Joyner being on the show, talking about how it's long past due that Eric Allen makes the Hall of Fame. How come Seth Joyner never gets talked about for the Hall of Fame? Patrick Willis, last night, was named a Pro Football Hall of Famer. Linebacker Patrick Willis. In Willis's career, eight interceptions. Seth Joyner had 24. Patrick Willis, 20 and a half sacks. Seth Joyner, 52 sacks. Patrick Willis, 16 force fumbles. Seth Joyner, 26. Why is Seth Joyner not considered for the Hall of Fame and Patrick Willis is already getting in? Doesn't make sense. Seth Joyner deserves to be in. Eric Allen deserves to be in. But I see Y-Niner's Wine saying that Jason Kelsey will probably be the next eagle that gets in. You may be right, unfortunately. But Allen and Joyner both deserve it. And you agree with me in the chat about Seth? I see you, you agreeing with me about Eric Allen. But do you agree that Seth Joyner deserves to be in? Over 20 interceptions, over 50 sacks. Crazy stats, man. But the only thing I could think of, and I think I saw Ruben Frank put this out from NBC Sports Philly last night, that he thinks part of the problem with Seth and Clyde Simmons is that a lot of voters remember those Eagles defenses and give too much credit to Reggie White. Not that Reggie White wasn't unbelievable, dominant. But guys like Seth Joyner and Clyde Simmons aren't getting the credit that they deserve on those defenses because everyone just remembers how good Reggie White was. I think that was a good point. But Seth should be in, especially with Patrick Willis getting in. I mean, come on, man. Not that Willis doesn't deserve it. It's just when you look at the numbers, Seth deserves it too. But it's time. I know it's been anticlimactic with Super Bowl 58 being the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. But it is Super Bowl Friday. Getting ready for this weekend. Let me know in the chat what you're eating this weekend. So for me, there's this place near us that has the best tomato pie, man. So definitely getting that. I don't know what else is going to be on the menu. I got to check with Bridget. But we're definitely going to have the tomato pie. I'm going to eat way too much tomato pie on Sunday. But let me know in the chat what you're getting for Super Bowl Sunday because that's one thing we can look forward to. I know we're not all looking forward to the matchup. Yeah, Flexen, I'm trying to get the cutlets. I said that to Big Sills yesterday, but now I'm being told by Bridget maybe we're not having cutlets. I, I don't know. I'm not the boss when it comes to the food. I just eat it. So, oh, William Stark's going deep dish pizza Detroit style. I like that. Really can't go wrong with any kind of pizza. But, yeah, I like the tomato pie we're going to have. But I'm being told now I think cutlets may be off the menu. So I'll let you know. I think we're having ribs, too. I think we may be having ribs. So I'm not sure. I'll find out. I'll tell you on Monday how it all was. Cheesesteaks. I'm awake's having. But let's take a look. So one of the questions that I want to pose and I th- I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs in this game and we'll talk more about that. But if the Chiefs win, they're a dynasty, right? I mean if the Kansas City Chiefs win their third Super Bowl in the last 5 years, they've been now to four out of the last 5 Super Bowls. They've been the AFC champs, that means, four out of the last five years. They've been to the AFC championship game six straight years. If they win the third Super Bowl in the last five years, are they a dynasty? They have to be, right? And it's crazy because you really shouldn't see dynasties. In a salary cap era, we know the NFL wants parity. So you look at what the Kansas City Chiefs are doing. It's unbelievable. And I know we give a lot of credit to Andy Reid, as we should. But it's just, you look at Patrick Mahomes and what this kid is doing. It's unreal. He's been to the AFC Championship game every single season. As a starter. And if they win on Sunday, he'll win his third Super Bowl in five years. Wait, how old is Mahomes now? Because he could 28. He's not going to be 29 until September when the next season starts. Insane, man. I didn't think anybody would ever catch Tom Brady. Mahomes could catch Tom Brady at the pace he's going. 28 years old, and he may have his third Super Bowl win already. He's already in his fourth Super Bowl game. But we'll see. Chiefs aren't favored in this game. The San Francisco 49ers are favored by two and a half. The over is 47 and a half. I think this is going to be a low-scoring game. If you like defense, I think we're going to see a strong defense performance on both sides of the football. You just look at these defenses in the regular season. The San Francisco 49ers, top three in the NFL, giving up an average of only seventeen and a half points a game. And right above them, number two in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs, only 17.3 points per game. So I don't think I would take the under. I hate rooting for no scoring, especially in the Super Bowl. But you look at both of these defenses, they don't give up a lot of points. But looking at some of the key matchups for me in this game, it's going to be, can the Kansas City passing attack take advantage of the San Francisco 49ers passing defense? Because you look at the San Francisco defense. The only thing you could say is a weakness would be their pass defense. And they're not bad. They still finished in the top half of the league. But it's very difficult to run against the San Francisco 49ers. Is Pacheco going to be able to pick up yards on the ground against one of the best rushing defenses in the NFL. So I think what this is going to come down to is Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and this list of unknown wide receivers that the Chiefs have, can they move the football through the air against the San Francisco 49ers? And I think they will. I don't see how you can say that Patrick Mahomes is going to get shut down. So that's why I'm picking the Chiefs in this football game, not only because I'm saying you can't bet against Mahomes, but when you look at the 49ers defense, the one area that you could consider not as great as all their other areas would be their passing defense. And one of the things that the 49ers are going to try to do is to get pressure on Mahomes. It's not easy to do. We remember last year, With the Philadelphia Eagles, 70 sacks couldn't get to Mahomes. And I know people want to blame the field. But the Kansas City Chiefs do a really good job of not giving up sacks. A lot of that is because of how good Patrick Mahomes is in the pocket. His pocket awareness is insane. He extends plays. They were top two in the NFL this year. They only gave up 28 sacks. Now, the 49ers, top seven, and I see Stan Bruce saying that the 49ers have given up a lot of rushing yards so far in the playoffs. I just think you're going to see them being able to stop Checo in the run. I think for the Chiefs to win this game is going to be through the air. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think they're going to be able to shut down the run. Now, the interesting thing is, regardless if they stop down the run or not they've struggled on third down as good as the 49ers defense has been they haven't been very good on third down all season Kansas City's been really good with their third down offense so I think that's another important matchup are the 49ers going to be able to get off the field but a real key in this game and this is not unique to this game but it's going to be turnovers. Every game we talk about turnovers, but as good as Patrick Mahomes has been, you look at the regular season, the reason they struggled was turning the ball over. San Francisco, top five in the NFL in takeaways during the regular season, but you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they were 23rd in the league. They turned the ball over 28 times. They've been better this postseason, but can the 49ers force some turnovers? Can they force some mistakes? That's the only way I see the the Kansas City Chiefs losing this game, is if the San Francisco 49ers can somehow force Mahomes and this Chiefs team to make some mistakes and turn the ball over. Because you look at both teams, and I know the regular season is different, but you look at the regular season, Kansas City was a negative 11 turnover differential. The San Francisco 49ers were a plus 10. So that could be a big difference in this game. You win the turnover battle, you usually win the game in the NFL. It's amazing that the Chiefs have had the success they've had being a negative 11 turnover differential during the season. I think they're even. I think it may be an even turnover differential in the playoffs so far. But that's something the 49ers have to hope that they can do is to create some turnovers. And then the other thing that's going to be interesting is can the San Francisco 49ers establish the run on offense? Because you look at San Francisco this season, a top three rushing offense, and you look at the Kansas City Chiefs defense, they weren't necessarily great against the run, but they shut down... Hold on, I see people in chat. They shut down the Baltimore Ravens rushing attack. Part of that was because Baltimore just decided not to run the football, which I I don't understand. But they held Baltimore to only 81 yards rushing. They held the Miami Dolphins' high-powered rushing attack to only 76 yards rushing. They did let Buffalo run for over 180 yards. But that's going to be a big matchup in this game. Can this Chiefs' rushing defense, which was 17th in the league during the regular season, but did shut down the Ravens and the Dolphins, again, partially because the Ravens shut themselves down, But that's another big matchup. So I kind of want to see, for me, I think Kansas City, if they're going to win the game, it's going to be through the air. But I think San Francisco, the big matchup is going to be on the ground. Because one thing this Kansas City Chiefs defense has done really well this year, stopping the pass and getting after the quarterback. Top two in the entire league this year getting after the quarterback. So I think it could be a long day for Brock Purdy. Or a short day if they're able to do what the Eagles did to him in the NFC Championship last year. But So those are some interesting matchups. But I like looking at some of these prop bets. So MVP. Patrick Mahomes, obviously, the front runner to be the MVP at plus 150. Number two, Brock Purdy at plus 210. Then you have Christian McCaffrey plus 450. Travis Kelsey plus 1400. Debo Samuel plus 2500. Isaiah Pacheco plus 2500. So those are fun sometimes. Just throw some money on those because they pay so damn big. One of the interesting ones that I may throw a little bit on Nick Bosa plus 8000. Could Bosa go off in this game? Now, the last defensive player, if you're here in the chat, who is the last defensive player to win Super Bowl MVP? we got to go all the way back to Super Bowl 50. Eight years ago. Who remembers? Smiley nails it. Smiley's got it. Von Miller, Super Bowl 50 with two-and-a-half sacks in that game, was your MVP. So don't rule out if the San Francisco 49ers, if this is a low-scoring game like I think it's going to be, don't be shocked if a defensive player wins this MVP. I know you have guys like Christian McCaffrey and Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, which makes it hard that it would be a defensive player, but if this is truly a defensive battle, which I think it's going to be, you could have a guy like Bosa steal that MVP. And at plus 8,000, why not throw a little money on it? Now, the last 20 MVPs, if you look at the last 20 Super Bowls, 13 of them have been quarterbacks. Five have been wide receivers. And two have been linebacker slash edge rushers. That may be one I like having fun with the MVP. This is also a fun one. First touchdown scorer. Who's going to score the first touchdown? And I like going with ones that have really high odds. Because you never know. So, Brandon Ayuk, plus 1,000. Kyle Juszczyk, fullback for the 49ers, plus 4,400. That's something I could see Shanahan doing near the goal line. little play action pass over to Kyle for a touchdown, plus 4,400. Marquez Valdez-Scanling, plus 3,100. Justin Watson, plus 3,200. Two wide receivers on the Chiefs team. Could see them getting the first touchdown. So I like that. I like going with the... First touchdown and taking the really high odds. That makes it exciting. Well, let's look at some of these player props. Patrick Mahomes, over under on passing yards, 262 and a half yards. I would go under. One and a half touchdown passes. That one's tough. I may stay away from that one. But then 26 and a half rushing yards for Patrick Mahomes. Do we think Mahomes rushes for more than 26 and a half yards? I would go under. But then looking at Brock Purdy, his over under on rushing yards is only 12 and a half. I'm taking the over. I could see Brock Purdy being under some pressure from that strong defensive line that the Chiefs had, escaping the pocket, taking off and picking up 13 yards on a run, on a scramble. So I would take the over. Purdy. Passing yards, 246 and a half. I'm going under. I just think it's going to be a defensive battle. Travis Kelsey receiving yards, 72 and a half. I'm going under again. Debo Samuel, 58 and a half receiving yards. I'm staying away from that, but the one I do like with Debo, 16 and a half rushing yards. I'm going over. You know Shanahan likes to get Debo Samuel involved in the rushing game. Hold on, Michael. Michael, why? Bill, what we all want to know is the over-under on how many times Tay-Tay is shown and how long the National Anthem goes for. Oh, and what the coin flip will be. Yeah, those are the ones I can't get into. I don't understand the coin flip. Every single year, my uncle bets the coin flip, like a ton of money on the coin flip. It is literally a coin flip. (laughs) I, I don't understand it. But tails never fails is what I always hear. Tails never fails. But then some of these other ones, Christian McCaffrey, over under 91.5 rushing yards. Again, I'm going under. I just think we're going to see a defensive battle. So I'm taking most of these unders. But the one I like with Christian McCaffrey is receiving yards. 33.5 receiving yards. I would take the over on CMC for that. And then what I want to talk about next week, Because finally, when this damn Super Bowl is over, and hopefully it's the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm taking the Chiefs. If I would go Chiefs, probably Moneyline, because I think they're going to win the game, even though they're getting two and a half, probably Moneyline. And I'm taking the under 47 and a half. I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. But when this game's over, and hopefully it's the Chiefs, We then can start looking forward to Super Bowl 2025. And I peeked ahead to see what are the odds right now for Super Bowl 25. And the Philadelphia Eagles have the eighth best odds before free agency and the draft and everything else. The Eagles right now have the eighth best odds behind the 49ers, who are number one, the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Lions, the Bills, the Cowboys, and the Bengals, and then our Philadelphia Eagles. So we'll start looking at that and what this team needs to do to get back to being a contender. We'll have a long time to talk about that this offseason. But like we end every Philly Sports Power Hour with a little Today in Sports History, another one with a little Philly spin on it, February 9th, 1942, the Phillies, Officially changed their nickname to the Phil's, the Philadelphia Phil's. And I didn't know this, but when the team started in 1883, they didn't have a nickname. They were just called the Philadelphias. And because that was a mouthful, people started calling them the Phillies instead of the Philadelphias. So on February 9th, 1942, to avoid confusion with the cigars that were called the Phillies, the Philadelphias officially changed their nickname to the Phil's. The Philadelphia Phil's. That only lasted one year. And then the new owner, William Cox, was like, no, Philadelphia Phil's doesn't make sense. We're officially going to change our name to the Philadelphia Phillies. So for one year, starting today in 1942, they were the Philadelphia Phils. I don't know. Interesting one for me today, I thought. Let's see what you guys got. Why Niners 9, where can I bet will be the national next year at this time? I don't know that. William Stark giving me some remedies for my cold. Blackberry, brandy, tea, lemon, and honey. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Well, listen, everybody, enjoy the Super Bowl as much as you can. Let's hope we're not watching the 49ers hold up the Lombardi trophy. As much as it pains some people to see Mahomes holding up another trophy, I'd rather that happen than it be Kyle Shanahan, Debo Samuel, and this 49ers team that's already making excuses with the field and now the fire alarm and all that crap. But everybody, enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. And check me out this weekend. Tomorrow morning, 9 to 12. Sunday, 9 to 12. I'm hosting my radio show on 97.5 The Fanatic. So give me a call. Would love to talk to you. Appreciate all the support. So hit that like button. Hit that share button. Make sure you're following. Have a great Super Bowl Sunday. And as always, go Birds.
0: Go for the polls. And the pools. Go for the oohs. And the odds.